This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Chris Klink on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book. It's called Goodbye, Lark Lovejoy, and uh, this is the first book in the Enchanted Rock series. Um, I know you guys are going to love this, and I'm super excited to chat today. Uh, Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to come on. You are so welcome. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Chris, uh, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, I I think that um, I've had this question a couple times, and actually um, several months ago, I I finally hunted down the book that inspired me, and I think I might have been second grade or so. But um, I found it on a used uh, bookseller's website, and it was The Little Leftover Witch um, by Florence Laughlin. And there was a cool story with that is that there was a inscription on the inside. It, was, it looked like an old library book, but a child had written in, in pencil, Ryland Burnett, please return if found. Thank you. So I took that opportunity to look for that person, and unfortunately... He passed away in a plane crash um, a couple years ago and has no family. And I I was looking for some family because I thought that would be really great to be able to return that book to him. But but it was a book about a little girl who um, was left over after Halloween, a little witch. And so that's that's the book I kind of keep on my desk and remember that's how I became inspired to write. And... Um, the next few years, I had two really great, um, lang- back then they called it language arts teachers. And when my galleys came out, when my early, you know, the early copies that we get to look at, when they came out, the first two that came out of the box went to those two teachers. And so it was really cool hearing from them after they read the book. That's so cool. Um, Chris, did you, um, did you have designs to did you did you know early on um that that you would tell the kinds of stories that you do now or when did uh you know when did the storytelling gene sort sort of wake up and and you knew that okay this is something that I'm going to have to do 
Well, I've always been a storyteller. I've always written. Um, I've There had been an ongoing joke in my family for years with my husband. When I write that book, when I write a book, that, that was the beginning of a sentence that I bet I said hundreds right. of times. But in, in my past careers, I, I taught speech at a university part-time, and I um, was an educator for a hospice, and I ran a nonprofit for six years. And in each of those jobs and, and several volunteer projects, I got the opportunity to write, but it was more like it was technical writing. So my name wasn't attached to whatever I wrote, but it was fun to be able to tell those stories for, like, say, uh, the diabetes the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation was the nonprofit I worked for. And to be able to tell the stories of our children that were um, affected by type 1 diabetes was in a bit a bit of a way for me to funnel that need to, to do storytelling in a day-to-day basis. But I always wanted to do more than, you know, tell little little stories here and there. I wanted to tell stories on a larger format. And so years ago, I thought I would do something uh, more mystery suspense. And when I finally began writing full time at 46 years old, um, after my husband said, Chris, you're 46, when are you going to write this book? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a a great time for me to quit my job and write full time. And that's what I did. But the story that I told wasn't wasn't suspense. It was just more of a, a story of the heart and home. And um, it was something that, you know, I felt like I needed to tell the stories of everyday people who are really everyday heroes. Chris, I I love to hear the stories uh, of, you know, what got people to where they are now. Um, And a lot of times it's a very circuitous route. And, And some of the experiences that we pick up along the way you wouldn't think, um, you know, this would lead to novel writing. Um, now, your work in communications is is a clearer path uh, than some people have. Um, but but looking back on that time now, um, how do you feel like the work that you did, uh, either as a technical writer or your nonprofit work, um, how do you think that that m- maybe prepared you for the kind of things that you do today? Well, I think you have to, you know, looking at, you know, some of the PR materials that I did for the nonprofit, you know, you're telling the stories of, of, I said children, but we also have plenty of adults with type 1 diabetes, but you have to get in their shoes a little bit and think about the story the way they want it told and something that would be helpful to the, the mission of the organization and not necessarily, you know, oh, pity me. But look at what look at what I can do. But look at what I could do if you know if if we could get rid of this disease. And so, you know, it's a two two prong deal because you want to get in their shoes, but you also want to be sensitive about it and not not make it where they feel more vulnerable by having their story told. And I think that that translates to novel writing because you definitely want to get into those characters' shoes because you're telling their stories. But you also don't want it to be a two-dimensional flat cartoon that, oh, this is the villain, this is the sad person, this is the the victim. You know, you need to be able to show that depth and, and show their sensitivities as well. 
when uh, when your husband gifted you that that laptop, um, did you have a story in mind already? And I know that you said that you kind of threatened for years. You know, when when I write my novel, it's it's going to you know this is going to happen or whatever. And um, a, a a lot of us kind of make those threats um, and uh, along the way. But did uh, you know was there a story brewing already when you sat down to write that or did the the act of sitting to write did that you know cause a story to to be born well i'll tell you the story the lark story was born in uh 2007 my husband and i and our our younger children flew to san antonio our our oldest was in a, a musical down there and uh, she had some time one afternoon and she wanted us to follow her, load up and follow her to Green, Texas. And I'd never been to Green. Um, and I wanted to get back to San Antonio to do more shopping and, you know, see what, what there is to be seen in San Antonio because there's plenty. But it was really important to her that we go to Green. And we got out of the car and it was a cute little town, like a lot of little towns in, you know, the hill country and around San Antonio. But I saw the water tower that said green, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Green isn't spelled like the name, and it's it's a German name. But she took us to the grist mill for lunch, and it's an old mill. And we ate on the deck overlooking the Guadalupe. And it was just really special. It was a special afternoon. But afterwards, she wanted us to walk across the little courtyard to the green dance hall. And this was the middle of the afternoon, and I thought, oh, what? why are we doing this? And if you've ever seen pictures of the Green Dance Hall, it's it's very uh, it's it's not like there are no flashy lights or anything like that. It it almost looks like an old barn in a way Uh, nicer than that. But it's it's whitewashed and and pretty simple. But when we walked inside, the floorboards bent beneath my feet (laughs) and I knew that day. And I said to my husband, I don't know what the story is, but when I told when I tell it. It's going to happen here. And I carried that with me since 2007. I didn't, I didn't start writing this book till what, 2015, 16, somewhere in there. And there's a line in the book where the, the main character says that when she walks into the green dance hall, the floorboards bent beneath her feet. And it's like the, the building had a life of its own and you could almost sense the people that had been there before. And it's one of the oldest dance halls in the country. And, the walls around the bar are lined with autographs, autograph photos of, you know, everybody from George Strait to uh, Garth Brooks. And I mean, just everyone in between. It's it's really impressive. Um, so for such an unassuming place, it, it has a lot to to impress you. But that really struck a chord with me. And I carried that for a long time. And I didn't know my characters. I didn't know what was going to happen. But later, later on, I I think seeing movies like Hope Floats, I knew my stories needed to have a heart like that. Um, Something where, you know, I I said, it's almost like my main characters are walking around, you know, living their life and going through whatever they, everybody else is going through. And somebody pushed them on the train tracks and yelled run. And they're running and running and running until finally they figure out, I don't need to run. I can, you know, step aside and (laughs) let this train go by. And, and in my books, that essentially that's what happens is, you know, we meet them when they're running and they really don't realize that's where they are. But then 
they get to a point where they they come into their own and they know I don't have to run anymore. I'm this is who I am, you know, and they get to be their own hero. And so that that setting in green really kind of set the tone for that. It, it was a, a simple place, but it had so much potential. And I think that kind of speaks to most of us where we tend to be simple people. And I mean that from top to bottom, you know, whether sure. you live in New York yeah. or you live in Austin, Texas or wherever, but there's more to, to us than you can see just right offhand. So from from the simple setting that was so ripe with uh, with potential, um, when did Lark Lovejoy um, walk onto the stage of this story? Uh, the week I started writing it, when I actually sat down to write it, um, Lark was we had that I guess a couple months before that we'd gone to Key West and and seen Hemming's, Hemingway's house, and I don't know why, but. From then on, I, I got the idea that I wanted her, I wanted my main character to be like a bird, you know, kind of that she takes flight. And for a while, her name was Wren. <laughs> and I decided I liked, I liked Lark better because I could take it in. She, she's actually named after her grandmother. Her grandmother's last name is Larkin. And so that's her name. And, and the last name was something that had been calling to me for a long time. And I, even in the last few years that I'd worked for the diabetes organization, when I would text my children or my husband and I would type love, love you at the end of a message, it would autocorrect to love joy. And it did it so much <laughs> that I, I told my husband, I said, is there something I'm, you know, am I supposed to see a sign here or what, what is this? And so I knew when I started, we were definitely going to have the love joys because that was, that was. I took that as my sign that I needed to be doing what was authentic to me, which was writing. That is so funny. Um, so what was it about um, Lark's character that that stood out to you? I, I know that you said that there were some some character traits that you were thinking about um, the, the connection with the bird and, and, and things like that. But what was it about her? that, you know, made her three-dimensional in, in your imagination? Well, I think that, you know, she was somebody who, when you look at who where she, she came from, Fredericksburg, Texas, which isn't far from Green, and she was almost like Little Miss, you know, Little Miss All-American, and, and you know, she had, had life on a cracker and could have done anything, and she went away to college and to study um, winemaking and viniculture at, at Texas Tech. And so she was going to be a winemaker. And then she goes to California for a, a summer internship. And it didn't go so well. And, and so here this girl that has it all has to go do an internship where it's kind of a, a, a boys club and she's the only girl and they joke about her being, uh, getting her MRS degree. And, and so she was already kind of jaded about that. And then nine 11 happened and her mother kept trying to push her to do something more traditional. And so she ended up going to law school. And, and so, you know, in taking somebody who had, who thought she knew what she was going to do and, and then, she switched gears very quickly, um, but she still looked like the person that had it all. And I think we see Lark, you know, she, we meet her when she's just lost her husband to ALS and she 
you can have it all and not have anything. And I think that's that's really the the message with Lark was she was somebody who from the outset looked like she had everything and yet there was a big gap in not only, you know, from losing her husband, but also in not following her passion from early on. And we see that in the Wyatt character as well. You know, he he had he was younger than Lark at 9-11, but he knew that he wanted to go in. He wanted to do something to defend us from a young age. And so he went to Texas A&M and was in the Corps and went straight into the Army and then was injured. And so he thought he was going to have this Army job for the rest of his life. And now he has to go back and rely on the degree he got in electrical engineering. And so, you know, these things happen and everybody's dealing with, you know, the stuff that gets thrown at us. And so um, those are kind of the messages that I was hoping to, to communicate with, with this book is that, you know, everything that we, we're all going through something and to, we all get to be heroes sometimes too. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. The the storyline of, of Lark's husband that she lost to ALS um, resonates very deeply and, uh, and, and seems to me to come from uh, a very authentic place. Um, do you personally have a... Uh, a connection with someone who's uh, suffered from ALS or some other um, yes, life altering. I had a condition. I had a friend in in my I would probably say you know when we were all raising our our kids were all pretty young at the same time. A friend that when I was diagnosed with MS not long after that, she was diagnosed with something, but they really didn't diagnose it early. They didn't know they wouldn't put a name to it for a long time. And she would say, gosh, I wish they would just tell me I have MS. And at least then I could take medicine for it like you do. And and so as time went on, um, things got worse. And, you know, this was a woman who was just incredibly 
bright and talented and she was she was painting a mural for her children's school and when she lost all the function on her in her right hand she began painting with her left to finish it and so she was someone who was very um inspirational to to a lot of the young moms that that knew her and so um when she passed away i i kind of keep keep those memories with me and um and so yeah i wanted i wanted people to to understand that and i have a friend that that i worked with at jdrf who now runs the um i think it's the upper new york um chapter of the als organization and so um I really, you know, I've tried to support them and and support people who are suffering with ALS, like my friend Lee. So. That's uh, that's amazing, and and um, you know, the, this book is not focused on that, but it the story is uh, absolutely informed by that, and uh, and Lark's journey, uh, you know, learning to kind of wrestle with that, but then not lose herself in the process is something that, that I think a lot of us, um, whether it be ALS or some other thing there, there, we all have some sort of challenges that we, you know, are faced with, with the choices. What, what are we going to do with this? Um, was that an important thing for you to, to have Lark to, to wrestle through? Definitely, definitely. Especially, you know, as, as time goes on and, and she's in this relationship with this man who has, he's lost his leg and he has beneath his clothes, he's very scarred, but you don't see that day to day. And so, but what he's really hiding is not the scars on his, on his chest and on his body, but you know, he's carrying PTSD and, and that's something that when she learns uh, what the potential is there, um, she's very protective of her children and, and it scares her. And in, in trying to understand that she finds that there's a whole story. Her, her father who was in Vietnam for the first time, he talks to her about PTSD. And so, so it was really an unraveling of Lark trying to understand, you know, deal with her pain process, her, her lover's pain, but then unknowingly stumble into her dad's. And so it, it goes back to that theme that I think Lark says in the book, we all have scars. Some of them don't show, but we all have scars. And so that, that followed that theme. Uh, one of the things that, that Lark um, encounters and, and, and kind of uh, becomes a sort of a theme for the book is or the vines uh, at her, at her parents' house. What, what did the vines mean to you? Well, I mean, it was something that she and her father had planted this little, you know, line of, I can't remember, it was like maybe 20, 20 vines beside the house when she first told them that she wanted to uh, explore winemaking because that area, you know, a lot of people don't don't realize that the Texas Hill Country Wine Trail is is an area that's very uh, lush with, with grapevines and wineries all over. And so it wasn't quite as, um, it hadn't grown up as much when Lark was growing up as it had when she returns. But when she decided, when she told her dad that she was interested, he, he helped her plant this line of, they built these trellises and built and they planted this line of vines. And so here she comes back at 38 and the vines are just a mess. It looks like a, you know, bunch of, I think I said she, 
they were, it looked like a bunch of wire hangers all, you know, tied together, trying to get them undone. And so she, she sees that potential and that's now it's looking at her. Now she's looking at it from a more mature um, view. And she's art now that she's come back, she's seen how the hill country wine trail has just bloomed. And it's almost like it's in her face that alone, that, that the business has grown, but then to see those wine, those grapevines by the house that have just been abandoned and it, it strikes a chord that what's abandoned is, you know, she's abandoned that passion that she carried when she was younger. When, when you first started thinking about this story and, um, and the character of Lark, uh, came to you, um, how long did it take for, um, for the character of Wyatt to come in and was this a, a natural progression in your mind or uh, that, that came out of what you were already thinking about, or did you know that there needed to be a Wyatt and, and then, you know, figuring out where he comes in did, did, I guess what I'm asking is, did you have this character and this interaction planned out or did he come about um, because the, the story told you it needed to happen? That Wyatt was there almost instantly. I I had been thinking about a character to play off of Lark for a couple months before I started writing it. And so Lark, uh, Wyatt was there. I mean, the first day I started writing, he was on the page. Um, the character that came to me kind of by surprise was Bianca. I woke up at like four in the morning one night and... I guess that would be in the morning <laughs> and had to get to a notepad and, and make notes because I could see here. And I mean, I, I just, I sensed Bianca and as this long lost best friend from childhood and she was just, I had so much fun writing her. And so, you know, she was somebody who again is more than you see off on the surface. She was someone that's real sweet and caring, but she has so much, her sense of humor just made me laugh sometimes writing it. And, and I don't, I, I don't know where a lot of her lines came from, but they showed up just when I needed them. Um, when you, uh, when you're thinking about all of the characters that, uh, um, that go in, in this story, um, Lark, um, has some interesting interactions with her, former in-laws uh and they they factor pretty heavily into the story into her personal growth um what what made you uh, want to bring in that angle well i think that when you know i think that when you tell a story you should be sensitive to to your readers and to me that story was a story that would i hopefully resonate to people of all ages and so I, I was very purposeful with the ages of all of the characters. I wanted Wyatt to be just on the edge of the millennial curve. I wanted Lark to be just, you know, middle-aged. And I wanted to be able to include the next generation. And so, you know, the loss that Lark suffered was terrible. But it wasn't just her loss. It was also, you know, the... Uh, James, her her husband's um, parents, and so to see how that plays out in the days that follow, with the way they're managing, you know, getting the kids 
back and forth to be able to see the grandparents. I thought it was important. I mean, I thought if I'm if I'm reading that, I'd want to know how is this impacting these the parents? You know, where is the rest of James's family? And so that that's kind of where that came from. Gotcha. Um, Chris, are, are, do you consider yourself a, a pantser or a plotter? Uh, when you start thinking about a story, do you, do you do all of your work ahead of time before you start drafting? Or does the story kind of grow and evolve with the writing? I'll tell you, I'm very ADD. So if <laughs> I didn't, um, if I didn't do an outline, I'd probably be in trouble. So I've, I've, when I start to, before I start writing, I do an outline. That's not to say I don't veer off here and there because stories do that to you. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely start out with an outline and there are times that the story starts to veer off and I have to bounce back to that outline and go, what did, where, where was I going here? <laughs> and pull myself back on the road because it, it can happen pretty easily. So um, how how detailed an outline do you make? Is this like chapter by chapter? Are you doing um, character sketches? Like how how do, um, how detailed does it need to be before you say, OK, now I understand the story. I know where we're going and then you can start the drafting process. Well, I've been I've been kind of lucky because. Well, yeah. OK, let me answer, let me back up and answer that question. Yeah. Um, I do character sketches and I do a scene outline um, and, and really try to get the main scenes. And I'll make notes that, you know, you might want to include a, another scene, you know, not something that's not really as detailed, but but just a note so I can remember that I that I had that thought. Um, but the Lark book, you know, I've spent five years writing it and however much time thinking about it before that. But my second book comes out. Um, this next fall and it's part of the series and so the beauty of of writing you know the lark book has a lot of characters and that's on purpose because it's the first of the series and so I'm currently writing the third one in the series and so as far as getting to know the characters there are new characters that come into the second and third book but there aren't as many more so we're exploring some of the main characters that are the the minor characters that the reader learned, uh, has met in the first book. So it's been a little easier. I'm, I'm making notes now for another series. And so now I'm having to kind of start from, start from scratch again. <laughs> so, um, you're working on the third book in the series. Um, how has, uh, you know, how have these characters changed for you without giving, uh, you know, anything away, obviously of what's coming next, but, um, you know what uh, has has there been like big character growth that you didn't see from the beginning? Oh, definitely. And you know, one of the things I I really enjoy doing with my characters is taking characters that you the reader really doesn't want to like <laughs> from the beginning yeah. and giving them giving them the time to reveal themselves and reveal either how they became that grumpy character or that unlikable character to the point where the the reader I hope at some point will will want to understand and get to know that character even better and, and have a better understanding of why where they've come from and and also to see them develop because sometimes we have I, I like to put a character that's very unlikable at the beginning and then towards the end the reader 
hopefully the reader will embrace that character now that we understand a little better why why they felt that way or why they acted in a certain way. There's no better feeling than uh, than knowing that you've painted a character in a way that that people don't really like them, and you know that you have built a rapport and a relationship between the reader and this character by the end of it that's 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 the magic of writing that just uh it's It's just magical yeah (laughs) a lot of fun absolutely the new book goodbye lark love joy is available everywhere now when you're hearing this um and i highly recommend that you go out and grab it um Chris, if people are just discovering you and and, want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? They can find me at chrisclink.com. It's K-R-I-S-C-L-I-N-K. Excellent. We'll put links to... Uh, to your website in the show notes of this episode as well as links where you can go out and grab the book today Uh, Chris this has been so much fun chatting thank you so much for taking time to come on the show well thank you I really appreciate your your interest in the book and um, look forward to doing this again maybe with the next one absolutely authors if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be look no further than Pico's house Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. Are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection. Right from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organize mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by writers.